Welcome to a Meaningful Marketplace. I'm Sarah Massoni from Oregon State University's Food Innovation Center, where I've helped countless dreamers launch their new food products. It's the science of taking a food delight from the kitchen to mass manufacturing and still keeping its great taste. That's what I do. I've been called the woman with the million-dollar palate, although I haven't tried to cash that check yet. Listen in weekly for real-life stories. I'm Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce and author of Preservation Pantry, modern canning from root to top and stem to core. I love inspiring business owners to get started on their journeys, encouraging folks to be part of their local community, and I'm excited to help business owners tell their stories. Join us as we explore the journeys of women entrepreneurs in the food and beverage industry. Hello and welcome to Missoni and Marshall, the Meaningful Marketplace. Thanks for joining us as we hear the stories of female food entrepreneurs. This is Sarah Marshall, owner of Marshall's Hot Sauce. And Sarah Massoni of Oregon State University College of Ag Food Innovation Center. <laughs> I like when you add on extra things that have to do with what we're talking about. <laughs> well, they were asking about how many people we reach every day. And Mark actually did a little bit of research. He thinks that every time we do a show, we have about 1.25 million listeners. Whoa, that's wild. Whoa. Oh, hi, everybody out there. I feel like I just got really nervous all of a sudden. I, I thought it was nervous. just my mom's listening. Don't worry. I'm here with you. Well, that's super cool. Well, I um, we are going to be talking dairy today, Sarah. So I, I was, love dairy. I know you do. So I wanted mm-hmm. you to um, maybe say some things about OSU, about dairy, about the Department of Ag, anything we can pump up? Okay, so Oregon State University is a state college and we have ex- uh, extension in the dairy area, dairy area. <laughs> <laughs> and we have a small cheese factory right now, but they're going to actually build a full um, dairy processing facility. They're making cheese and starting up an ice cream program. And all of the milk they're using is coming from cows on the farm on campus. So that's really exciting. That's super cool. And so if people, um, you know, are interested in these different programs, what is the best way for them to go about it? Do they, um, are there like tiny programs they can do or do they have to be official students of OSU? How's it work? No. So if you go on the OSU food science and technology website they have what's the extension programs and on the extension page they have all of the different classes that are offered Uh, usually we have the Oregon Dairy Industries meeting which is going to be live this year in Salem will be in April so that would be something where you can come and learn about dairy products in the region and then in the fall of um, 22 we're going to have the ice cream conference again which will probably be in Portland. We have to figure out our location. Potentially, it'll be at the OSU Center in the old Macy's building. Um, And anyone's welcome to come to those. Um, You just have to sign up and pay the money. And you can be there too. Yeah, That's super cool. I love that that happens. Mm -hmm. 
Well, we're going to be um, talking lots of dairy today, so I'm mm-hmm. excited to hear your input. It's a subject I don't know much about, so I'm just going to be asking the questions. Oh, you're going to learn. <laughs> I'm going to be the student today. We're joined in the studio by Melissa Coleman. She is from Cloud Cat Farms in Boring, Oregon. Cloud Cat Farms is a fourth-generation organic dairy farm. Welcome, Melissa. Mm. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. We're glad that you're here today and we want to um, help uh, customers and other food buddies connect to you. So what's the best way that people can find you virtually? So I would say virtually you can always go to Organic Valley's uh, website. Um, they have all of their farmers on there and uh, I am one of those farmers that's on there. So you can search um, who's closest to you because I might not be closest to you in Oregon. Um, also, we have a Facebook page, uh, just Cloudcap Farms. Uh, and we do a lot of tours, and so that's how people usually reach us. So we want to help uh, tell the tale of Cloudcap Farms. Can we start at the beginning? When did the farm start? So the farm actually started when my great-grandpa immigrated over from Switzerland. Um, so our dairy started in 1924. He came over uh quite a few years before that, but he kind of milked his way across the country until he ended up in Oregon and um, we're in boring Oregon. So, um, and he worked for other dairymen and decided that he wanted to start his own farm. So that's what he did. And he actually ended up being the bank for many farms around our area as well. And he was kind of like an innovator of his time. Um, You know, he really like added different aspects to agriculture. Like he had a reindeer um, herd that he used for Christmas time and they would do uh, parades in Sandy and that kind of thing. Um, And he started, you know, and hoping that his uh, son would take over and his son did take over. Uh, And that's when my grandpa joined and he brought with him the, you know, the industrial era, I should say. You know, they stopped using horses so much for for the field work and they started getting tractors. And that's when they decided to actually get um, milking machines versus milking by hand. And that made it so that we could increase our numbers um, quite a bit, actually. And so it was really hard for my grandpa, who was or my great grandpa, who was considered an innovator in his time to go into this like era where all those machines were being used and stuff. And so he would still go by and milk every cow out by hand just to make sure we got everything that was <laughs> there to get. Uh, he didn't trust those machines. He, he did not trust those machines. Um, I so still he, don't trust machines. <laughs> yeah, we still have definitely some checks and balances <laughs> with the machines for sure. Um, but then my, my dad uh, joined as well. Um, and he joined probably the late 70s uh, is when he kind of came back and became a partner of the farm and and uh, you know they started using a lot more AI which is artificial insemination it's just a way of getting better genetics in your herd Uh, and they tried some other things and around I would say the 80s you know mid 80s is when things started really getting hard and they had to kind of reevaluate and see what what the future of our dairy was going to look like. And they made it past that hump as many dairies did, but many dairies didn't too. Um, And so in 2000, uh, things were really tough. Uh, And actually, I think it was probably 99. Um, And George Seaman, who's the Organic Valley, he was the CEO at the time. He had come through our area and he was looking to start a milk run out in, in the Pacific Northwest. And 
and he had been told about some very specific farms. Um, so he came out and saw those farms and we just happened to be one of them. And my dad just bought the story hook, line and sinker. He wanted oh. to be part of the co-op. He wanted to do it. Um, but my grandpa was terrified, terrified that the dairy would go bankrupt, that the cows wouldn't be able to milk anything, that they would get sick going through this model. And he just, he was just too scared to do it at the time. And, and so my dad held off and he waited and my grandpa passed away in 2005. And one month after he passed away, we got a hold of Organic Valley and uh, it's kind of the end of the story. We've been with them since 2005, actually you, 2004, excuse me. And 2005 is when we were officially on the truck. Can you tell us what it means to be part of the Organic Valley Farm Co-op? Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of co-ops out there, right? You know, where you're farmer owners, but I think what really sets Organic Valley apart is their model of really protecting the small family farms. Um, it's been a great experience. You know, we have, I've had a chance to really grow within this co-op. I've, I've worked for the co-op for a few years. Um, I don't work there anymore, but I, it was a great experience. And, you know, they, they, love to have their farmers be a part of their marketing. It's a marketing co-op. And so, you know, we get a chance to be um, a part of the process. And not only that, but we get to learn about all these other farmers that are part of our co-op. Um, so right now, I think uh, they're Organic Valley sitting at like 1,700 farms across the country um, with over 80% of their farms being under under a hundred cows. So, I mean, they're, they really are trying to protect the foundation of, you know, being a dairy farmer and having a family on farm. So where, so you're producing milk for that co-op, but where is it being processed at a creamery somewhere in Oregon? Yeah. So it was getting processed in our McMinnville plant, uh, but that, that uh, had a fire this year. And so right now, we have some great partnerships with the other co-ops uh, around this area. And so it's getting processed in, I think, the Dairy Gold plant in Portland uh, right now. Um, and it does kind of, it's more of a fluid process, right? We have uh, these great relationships, but that does mean that we have to move milk um, from time to time. And luckily, as the farmer, I do not have to be a part of that process. That is something that is taken care of for us by being a part of the a member of the co-op. So they, I trust Organic Valley and they have so far um, done great at making sure that our milk gets to where it's supposed to so that it can be made into products so that we can sell. That's good. And I heard they're going to rebuild the creamery in McMinnville. Is that right? They are. They are. So interesting story. It's a small one. Um, I'm on the billboard of that creamery. My husband oh. and I are both on it. And so I had gotten probably... 50 either messages or calls saying that our dairy was on fire. Um, and it wasn't, obviously it was the creamery, but because oh. our picture was all over the news, mm -hmm. everyone thought it was our farm that was on fire. Oh no. Um, oh, no. So we had a lot of outreach that day. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yes, they are planning on rebuilding. In fact, they're already in the process of getting that started. Um, and I think their goal is to get some products even going. Um, within the year and by two years, hopefully be fully up and running. Oh, that's wonderful. But obviously that's still to be determined in some ways. So, so uh, go ahead, Sarah. Well, I was just going to say, just to like, I want to really like have people understand what it means to be part of the, of the co-op and what it means for you. So, so basically, because you're the dairy farmer, you have the cows, you milk the cows, you have the milk, and then you turn it over to 
um, the co-op and then they either turn it into whatever it is, milk, butter, cheese. Is that sort of how it works? Yeah. So there's different plants for different processes. So the plant that we were going into was, was a butter plant. And so it was getting made into butter. Um, I think right now it's getting it made into fluid milk. So that would be like your gallons or half gallons, that kind of thing that's in the store. Um, and so all of the farms milk. So Organic Valley keeps their milk, all their farms milk separate. So when they do runs, it's all Organic Valley milk going through that process. Um, And they figure out where to put it and where it's needed the most. So if we need cream and we're within a certain distance of a plant to to make cream, that's, you know, that's what they're going to do. They call Um, it the milk pool. Yeah, it's called a milk pool. But you can't go swimming in it. No, <laughs> no, that that would really mess with the organic certification. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is called the milk pool. Yes. So, oh, has being funny. part of this co-op benefited your family farm? I mean, since your family joined it, is it helpful to you? Yeah, you know, I I wholeheartedly believe that had we not gone organic and with Organic Valley back in 2004 when we um, asked to join them and they decided that they would still take us. Um, I don't think we would be around today. You know, mm. we were doing okay and we were getting along, but just to kind of give you some perspective, there's no dairy close to us within 45 minutes. Um, and there used to be 20 on our road. So my county alone has dropped in half in two years, how many dairies were in my county. So, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that is, um, you do it for the passion of the cows, you know, versus you're not getting rich, but without organic valleys stability, what we were using before, which is kind of like a wave, you know, and that's how you get paid. It was like a wave. It would go up and down and up and down and you have no control at all over that. And organic Valley gave us that stability to be able to make it to the next generation. In fact, I worked somewhere else. um, When we were going organic, I did work on the farm too, but there was no plan for me to come to the farm and uh, become an owner because we just weren't sure that that uh, future was there. And Mm -hmm. honestly, I didn't know if I wanted to be a part of something that was so hard and took so much of your life without getting anything in return. Um, And so when we went organic, there was huge things that happened in that year span of transition both for us personally and financially. And it, it really just opened my eyes and my husband has worked for the dairy for 21 years. And, um, and we decided that this is, this is our future. This is what we want to do. And, and we were able to do that by being a part of organic Valley. So since you're the next generation, I'm sure you're concerned about climate change and farming and sustainability. Can you tell us what you're using on your farm that might be yeah, you know, so the lines of sustainability. Yeah, so we actually have two acres of solar. So we've converted two acres that uh, of land that was really just not that useful for us. I mean, we used it a little bit, but it, as far as our whole property goes, it was it was the least used uh, piece of land, and uh, we converted it to uh, solar. We we uh, partnered up with this really amazing company, and we are selling that. Uh, energy back into the grid. Uh, and so right now, I think they said estimated that it's producing enough energy for about 200 homes. Wow. So that's wonderful. Um, and at the end of this contract that we have with them, the the plan would be um, that we would get that solar and that it would run our dairy fully. That's cool. Um, 
So that's that's kind of our plan. And, and for now, that's it's a pretty exciting process. As far as taking care of our land, I mean, you know, farmers, we have the land's best interest, honestly, at heart, because if we can't keep it healthy, we're not going to be able to keep producing food off of it. Is that called regenerative agriculture? Yeah, I mean, I would say that's definitely a keyword that you hear a lot. Um, and I what would say mean? it's pretty accurate. You know, we are we're working constantly to keep our land producing. And in order to do that, we have to, um, you know, we put inputs into it. So we're, for us as a dairy farm, we're using cow manure. Um, so it's a fully organic uh, sustenance. And we are also um, grazing our land, but we're not overgrazing it, right? We're not getting it all the way down to the bare um to the bare ground because we want that land to be able to hold water, to hold its nutrients. Uh, and so we are rotationally grazing with our cattle. Um, and so that we can keep coming back and it'll keep growing. Uh, so those are just a few of the things that we're doing. Um, I don't know. I, I think how, that, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to ask how many cows you have on the farm usually at a time. So we milk 200 cows um, and that's that's kind of how we phrase it. However, if you add in all of our from like brand new baby just born all the way to the oldest cow in the dairy, we have about 350 head. Um, but they don't all live on our dairy all the time because um, we have other properties that we use just for pasturing cows. Um, part of being organic is that we have to graze our cows for like no less than 120 days a year. Mm. And because we live in such an amazing uh, climate and here in Oregon, especially in this valley area, typically we're getting anywhere from 180 to 220 days out on pasture. Um, and then our heifers are usually, you know, getting 90 to 95% of their feed off pasture year round. So, um, yeah, so we are really working uh, to, to maximize our land um, per animal kind of ratio. So a few years ago, actually, I was interviewed for an article in the Wall Street Journal about Organic Valley. Did oh, you know that? I did not. And they asked me about the idea about reconnecting the farm with consumers, and they were going to be sponsoring some farm tours in the Midwest. Have you thought about doing that in Oregon? We have. And Actually, we did, um, I want to say it was three or four years ago, we opened up our dairy to a farm day with Organic Valley's help. And we had about a thousand people visit the farm in one there day. There you go. I think that was part of that article. Yeah, yeah. we were um, one of the pilots for the Pacific Northwest. Uh, and it was, I think, to date is the biggest tour they've had. I um, come on a tour. <laughs> yeah, well, that's so cool. I'll give you a private tour. Um, so yeah, so we had about a thousand people come out and a huge chunk of those people were from Portland. And then we had some neighbors that had never been to the farm. It was a really cool deal. And, you know, to be honest, though, we do about 500 kids a year. So we go to local schools and Portland schools because we're we're probably the closest dairy to Portland. Um, uh, so we end up opening our dairy up to, to a lot of different kids, inner city kids to show them where their food comes from. That's cool. That's so cool. If, if people want to um, schedule a tour, like, a, I mean, let's say a teacher listens to the show and wants to schedule a tour for their classroom, how would they go about doing that? So I would say the easiest way to reach me is probably going to be my Facebook page. Um, I 
I have an email as well that people can get a hold of me too. Um, but the Facebook page is probably the easiest way. Um, okay. We do do that. And I've actually partnered up with the Oregon Nutritional Council. Um, we've done, uh, we've, we've partnered up with them so that we can make it as free as possible nice. to the schools so Good. that they can come without having to worry about the expense of of, you know, cost per kid or anything, they might have to pay for bus fees, but we do try to make it as cheap as possible, if not free, so that we can get people out so they can see where their food comes from. Cool. Do you have a, do you have a store at your dairy to sell things to people? We don't. Um, We've thought about it, but we just, uh, it's too hard to, you know, have the dairy going and have a store on, yeah. Yeah, on process too. But I mean, you can find our products at Fred Meyer's, almost any store actually, Safeway, you know, New Seasons, you name it. That's cool. We're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back and I want you to talk a little bit more about what it's like to live in boring Oregon. (laughs) Oregon State University's College of Agricultural Sciences and the Food Innovation Center are proud sponsors of Meaningful Marketplace. With a mission to serve all Oregonians, we are committed to giving voice to those whose food and agricultural stories are not always heard. By providing access and opportunity for a more diverse and just food system, because food brings people together. Okay, well, I just want to start by saying that there is nothing boring about living in boring Oregon. (laughs) I love my little town. (laughs) We're so close to everything, though. Yeah, I grew up in Welch's, which is not oh, yeah. really that close to boring, but it ends up being in the same zone because of yeah, the high same school, school is district, like what, yeah. what connects all of us. And so I um, spent a lot of time in boring because I had friends that went to school there. And I think right. it's a really lovely place, but um, I feel like the name makes it unappealing to people, right? <laughs> <laughs> I came here from Minnesota and I was like, how could somebody name a place in Oregon so beautiful? Boring. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, I know how it got its name. I, I, it's definitely a conversation starter though. I have never regretted living in boring Oregon. I grew up here. I live in the house I was raised in and I, I love it. I love it. It's always, people always ask me like, what is it boring? Is it really that boring there? Mm-hmm. The only thing that bad that's ever happened is I had an article wrote about me and it was titled boring dairy farmer. Oh, oh, no. oh no. yeah. My parents loved it. <laughs> I bet they did. That would make a good t-shirt, right? Yeah. Uh, that's actually what I decided to, I, I have a TikTok account for our dairy and that's what I, it's titled boring dairy farmer. I like it. Well, and I think that, um, you know, the thing that people should know is that um, boring is actually, it's just right outside of Portland. It is the closest place for, you know, you're the closest dairy farm to the city. And so I think that it provides so many different, there's a lot of farms out there. There's a lot of nurseries, a lot of, um, you know, all all different kinds of farms. And, um, And I think it's where whenever people are going to say an orchard or something like that, like they can go just right to boring and it's only, you know, 10 minutes from, from where they live in the city. And I think it's really lovely. It is. It's, you know, it's interesting uh, because I always tell people like, I'm this, I'm from this little town. We don't even have a grocery store, but I'm literally like right next to Portland or I'm right next to Clackamas or Demath. You know, like I am in, yeah. I'm like in the center of this hub and I love it because we're still living the country, but we, we are, we have access to everything. I got to ask you a question about 4-H. Oh, sure. I love 4-H. So I've always been really, I want to admit, 
jealous of people who got to do 4-H and stay at the state fairgrounds during the fair. Did you get to do that with your animals? So I did uh, get to do it as a kid, um, but I also just did it this year with my kids. Um, So so we, I'm a 4-H leader because, well, because we're the only dairy like in our area, I end up leasing. um, How many cows? Oh my gosh. I think, well, we took 22 head to to our county fair this year and I only have four kids. And so big. Yeah, we took a lot of extra kids. Um, and then to state fair, I only took one for each year and the rest were my kids uh, because so it's a lot more work. But where do you stay stay at the fairgrounds? Is are there like bunk houses or do you have to have I'm just asking weird details, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> I always wanted to know. <laughs> so so at the state fair, uh, we stayed in our trailer. In However, there are or there were when I was growing up, there were like uh, dorms. Yeah, that's what I thought. Yeah, yeah so yeah. you could Columbia stay. County has a dorm. Yeah. yeah. Can you and sleep our, with your cow? Um, I mean, sleep? yeah, there's nobody kicking you out of the barn. Um, <laughs> there's thought. definitely. I thought maybe I saw people sleeping in there. Yeah, yeah. So I we have chairs that go all the way back so that we can sleep in the barn. But uh, and and there are farms that are that have enough um, employees that they, they have somebody stay in the barn all night long. Okay. My last weird curiosity question. Have you ever been the person milking the cow at the state fair behind that window? Um, so it's open. It's, it's so you can see. And yes, I uh, had, I not only was I milking, I ended up being videoed and I've done it at County Fair too, but that oh ended up gosh. on the news and is not near oh. as much fun as it sounds. <laughs> <laughs> it looks fun. All the people yeah. watching you think it's fun. <laughs> so I understand you have four children. I do. do you think they'll be working on the farm or are they already working on the farm? So they do, they do work on the farm now. Um, I don't know how much they want to work on the farm. Um, yeah. My two oldest daughters, they ha- have helped milk for years. Um, they feed calves. Uh, my one daughter now has, uh, she's driving. So she's, <gasps> I've let her go off the farm and get a job. So she works at Baskin Robbins. You know, got to keep it dairy. Supporting dairy. Um, <laughs> yep. And she's loving that because it's us, you know, you're not getting stinky while you're working um mm-hmm. but it's also uh, a pretty pretty hopping place for town because it's right. like where kids can hang out and there's not very many places in city right. or whatever okay. i always knows. had friends that worked there and, and i would always hang out in there with my buddies yeah exactly <laughs> so she loves that um and my two youngest child uh children they they help they're i mean they're nine and twelve um mm. and uh they definitely help whenever i need it my little boy just helped me feed yesterday so um and then we have six calves uh at our house that they are always helping take care of um Mm -hmm. anytime we have an animal that's not feeling that great or or sometimes we just have pets uh to be honest and they end up at my house and uh the kids all help take care of those so you have a nursery so do you have any holiday traditions that you continue to do you said that your grandpa had reindeer do you still have any holiday traditions like that uh not like that we don't have any farm traditions other than um we all gather at the farm my uh growing up Christmas Eve was always the day that our whole family would get together and uh, and Santa would show up and 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 we still try and do Christmas Eve and we always have a very like since I was growing up we've always ate 
homemade homemade bread with ham and cheese, usually Swiss cheese. Um, and we still do that. I don't know why, because I'm not a huge fan of it, but it still happens. Uh, and uh, and so we still hold to that. And and my kids help make all of our food as well um, for usually the holidays. But that's fun. I saw um, pictures of your, I think your daughter's in FFA. And so is there a difference between 4-H and FFA? Yeah. So FFA is like the graduate, it's like going from middle school to high school. I mean, that's the best way to describe it. So you can stay in 4-H all the way until you're 18. Um, But a lot of kids really, uh, especially in rural America, go from 4-H to FFA versus staying in both. Um, So FFA is like, it's like 4-H, but on steroids. I mean, talk about a way to teach kids how to be leaders. Not only do they get public speaking experience, they get to learn how to debate. They can learn how to do job interviews as one of the contests. I mean, so it's really trying to set children up for success, but it doesn't have to be all about animals. So you can be in any kind of agriculture. It can be just debating ag um ag challenges or you know there's lots of different things in fact i won uh, a huge award and a scholarship when i was in ffa for drawing so i mean there's a lot of diversity but it's really to build leaders and that's what it's all about is is building leaders one time that's really cool one time i got to teach a bunch of the ag uh, leaders from the college of agriculture and many of them were ffa people about etiquette Oh, yeah, because yeah. they were going out to a fancy dinner. Oh, and so we got to set the table and learn about using silverware and stuff like that. It was pretty fun. Yeah, I bet. I bet. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't know how much they teach that kind of stuff. Uh, that was a long time ago, probably yeah. 15 years ago. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I know that they teach like the rules of parliament, which I think is such a unique thing that kids don't ever learn anymore. Yeah. Um, unless you're like on a board of something, but yeah, it, yeah. they teach all kinds of stuff. stuff. Yeah. Um, well, I wanted to talk a little bit cause, cause you're kind of the expert here, but when, um, when your average person is shopping in the grocery store for dairy products, what do you think that they should be looking for? Um, I mean, I would love to just say they should absolutely be looking for organic Valley products. <laughs> You can, you can totally plug, say that. Plug if that, that in. If that's um, what you want people to do, then, then that's what they should do. But, I mean, but, maybe, maybe Melissa, should go a little deeper in what it, yeah. why is it organic? What do you do different on your farm with the cows that makes your products organic? So there's a, there's a full, a few different rules that really set us apart. And I would say for me, one of the biggest rules um, that sets us apart is that we have to graze our cattle. And what I mean by that is, you know, lots of people put their cows out to pasture. um, And that's wonderful. But one of the things that we actually have to do is when I say graze, I mean, our cows have to go out and they have to eat a certain amount of grass off the field themselves, meaning that we're not using tractors, we're not putting the stuff in front of them, they actually have to go out and harvest it themselves. Um, And we have to do that for 120 days a year. And that's the bare minimum. And many of our farms easily exceed that 120 days a year and they exceed the 30% of dry matter that the cow has to go out and harvest themselves. So I think that 
to me is one of the biggest things that differentiates us. Um, and then of course there's things like we can't use antibiotics and we don't use pesticides. Um, and you know, I, I really only know about organic and dairy. Uh, I don't know about other ag industries, but you know, for us, um, we, we already put our cows out to pasture, but we had to learn how to graze. We rarely used antibiotics, so we had to learn how to not do that um, and make sure our cows still stayed healthy and sound. Um, and so those are things that I think mean the most as far as like what you're looking at. And there's also certain um, animal care standards that that we, for Organic Valley, that uh, that we have to implement. Um, and so I think when you're you're looking at buying products in the store and whether it's organic and, you know, for us, it's also about supporting small family farms. Uh, and that's, you know, that's what makes me love our co-op so much. And, and then, you know, the bonus on top of all of that is that our products taste amazing. So here's a question. Do you name your cows and what kind of music do they like to listen to in the milking parlor? So we do name them every single cow. And I know that's a lot of cows to name, but every single cow <laughs> on our farm has a name, every single one. And I don't know them all. My aunt does. <laughs> they all um, have personalities. They do for sure. Um, so they all have names. It's interesting because cows are, can be like left-handed and right-handed. And we have cows that will only come in on one side of our parlor. Um, you know, and so <laughs> they're, they're really it's funny. Kind creatures. of like Portlandia where they talk about the name of the chicken at dinner <laughs> and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. But yeah. I mean, they, they do have names and they do have personalities. Um, and have as far feelings. as listening to music, you know, I don't know if they really care so much what they're listening to, but cows are creatures of habit. That's the best way to describe them. If they have something going on, they want it to keep going on. So we milk it three in the morning and three at night. And we have done that forever. Um, and they don't like change. So daylight savings throws them off, um, anything like that. And so if you're going to listen to music, you better keep it on the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> don't stop it in the middle of the parlor. Um, and They'll be like, hey, what's going yeah, on? Yeah, they like the exact same thing to happen every single day. I love that it's called a parlor. It makes it sound so fancy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I wish fancy. I could say it's fancy, but <laughs> to me, it's not. Do you use I robotics mean, and stuff like that? We do, but not in our parlor. We don't okay. have robots. Yeah, I wish. I would love, love to have robots. Gotta get your wishes out there. You never yep. know. I would love to have them. If somebody wants to sponsor some robots, I'm all in. Um, but no, <laughs> we do have uh, robotic brushes, though. So oh. the cow can walk up to the brush and push on it, and it'll turn nice. on. And and then we also have a robotic feed pusher, which looks like a giant uh, vacuum. Oh. That, you know, those robot vac vacuums. That's what it looks yeah. like, but it goes out and it pushes the feed in. Oh. You know, it's the most reliable employee I have. And it just <laughs> goes out and, and the cows love it because they, they hear it when it turns on. So they know the feed's getting pushed up. Nice. So, yeah. Nice. I saw your um, machine that you got that wrapped the um, bales of hay with plastic. Yes. Yeah. That and was I, me doing I, that too. It wasn't you. Yeah, it was it me. Was, it was so cool because I remember 
that being, you know, a job that some people that I was friends with in high school would get as a summer job was like, you know, bailing all of the hay. Yep. And it definitely was not done that way. <laughs> no, it definitely was not done that way. Um, my daughter, uh, both my, or both my daughters. Yeah. My two oldest daughters, they know how to use that machine too. Uh, it's pretty cool actually. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely, there's out of all the jobs on the dairy, there's some that you just don't want to do. And then there's some that are kind of fun. And that's one that's kind of fun. As long as yeah. I don't screw up because they don't want to wrap any humans in that hay that wouldn't be good (laughs) no that would not (laughs) i really secretly though want to put them out and paint them oh i've seen like snowmen be done and i've seen spiders and all kinds of stuff oh yeah there was a (laughs) there's a class on campus and business in the school business i think it's 374 something like that it's marketing and there was a group of students that came up with this idea of uh uh, hay wrap that um, dissolves in, oh. after so many months in the rain and the weather. And oh. so it was more sustainable. It, it wasn't plastic. Right. That's the one downfall about that, that method. But I mean, yeah. it worked really, well, really well. Do? Right. Because you got to protect it from the rain. Otherwise, it'll be bad. Right. I mean, if you had a barn to put it in and then you had this, this plastic that dissolved, um, that would be useful for sure yeah. because then and you if it had vitamins it. in it or something like you could yeah. just roll that thing out there and just they could just eat it right you just have to make sure that uh until you were ready it stayed covered yeah that would be cool yeah but it's it's think- definitely one of the funner jobs <laughs> do you also grow <laughs> um vegetables and fruit on your farm for your family um, so I have a personal garden, nothing too exciting, but we grow our own um, vegetables for sure. And uh, we used to have a bunch, like almost like a small orchard of fruit trees uh, back when my grandpa was alive. Uh, but it's no longer, uh, I wish it was, but it's not. I, I don't I don't know exactly why we ended up taking the trees out. I know mm-hmm. there was a reason, but uh, so now we don't have any any fruit other than I have one apple tree. I planted a fig tree and it started producing the second year that we had it. And they grow really fast if you like figs. And also I planted a plum tree and it was loaded with plums the very first year I planted it. We had a plum tree forever. uh, And it was one of my, like from being a kid up until just a couple of years ago. And I love that tree, but the amount of bees, whew, they were everywhere. that's why. Yeah. Well, the bees, we need those too. That's true. I'm surrounded by a lot of different uh, bee farmers. I don't know. Oh. I'm sure they have an actual name, but <laughs> <laughs> I think they're bee farmers. I mean, what yeah. else would they be? <laughs> yeah. Or honey farmers, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Honey yeah. farmers. Yeah. So do you sell um, any products directly to the customer yourself or it all goes through the co-op all through Organic Valley? It all goes through the co-op. That's like that's one of the other great things about being a part of a co-op is I don't have to worry about what I'm going to do with that product. You know, it's my job is to make the raw product and their job is to turn it into something that can be sold. Um, And well, I'm sure that's really nice because then you don't have to sell it you don't have to individually go around selling it to people I mean it sounds like yeah. a great idea I think I need to start a hot sauce collective yeah. <laughs> hey I'll maybe be you could one. just send a tanker <laughs> truck around and collect hot sauce from people and then just bottle it at your saucery 
Yeah, because that's go. like that. That's like the stressful piece of of being a business owner is like you can make all the stuff, but as you're making it, you're always thinking, oh, "I really hope somebody buys this." Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, and when you, you talk, know. when you talk about food of any kind and dairy, I would say even more, especially it, you know, we have a. Uh, a very finite amount of time to sell that product, you know, yeah, Yeah. it's definitely got a shelf life. And uh, so it has to be sold within a certain amount of time. So once you melt the the cow, the cows are milked and it goes into what, where does it go once they're milked? Tell us. So, so the kind of the process of getting it is um, there's there's like 57 checks between the cow and the plant. Um, And so it goes from the cow into our milk tank that has to be cooled by uh, a certain amount of time to a certain temperature. Uh, It's very fast, actually. And it's down to like 38 degrees or 37 degrees, something like that. Um, And our milk gets picked up every other day. So it's really not on our farm for very long. Uh, And then it gets taken to uh, to a plant where it's made into a product. So the product, like when you think of fluid milk, you're thinking... You know, it's from cow to the store, you know, anywhere from probably seven days to two weeks at the most. Um, so, I mean, it's happening quick, you know, butter, other things like that, that can, that can wait, especially cheese, obviously, because it's aged typically, um, but it's happening fast. And so, yeah, it goes straight from our cow to the tank, to the tank, to the plant. So how, you have 200 cows. How many fluid gallons of milk do you produce a day then? Um, a day. Well, you have a month. No, so I always so we dairy farms work by hundred weight. By um, hundred weight. Okay. By hundred weight. So, um, so I always have to do a little bit of math conversion. I would say our tank that gets filled up is it's about twenty five hundred gallons. Um, twenty five hundred gallons. Yeah, times eight twice, point times every other day. Point four three. So 2,500 gallons, that's two days though. Yeah. Wow. That's a lot. It is a a lot. lot. It is a lot. (laughs) And guess what? You never get a day off. No. So one of my, my favorite anecdotes of our dairy, when, when I have kids come to our dairy, I always tell them, you know, we've been in business now. um, What? So 97 years. Um, so, and in 97 years, we've only ever missed one milking. So wrapping your brain around that twice a day, every single day, and we've only ever missed one milking. And it was, and what due, happened that day? it was the Columbus day storm in the sixties. Oh. Um, and it's actually what caused us to get a generator. Um, and so, yep. So when everybody else is, you know, got birthday parties or Christmas or funerals or whatever, we're still milking our cows. Um, and so it's definitely something that you marry yourself to. I'll say. Do you want your kids to take over for you on the farm? That's a really tough question. Because uh, part of me would say, absolutely. Uh, my pipe dream would that all my kids could just keep doing it. Because while it's a lot of work, there's so many benefits to working on a farm and growing up on a farm. I'm so glad that at least at the very bare minimum, my kids got this experience. They got to be raised on a dairy because I mean, one, they see my husband and I all the time. We are part of their lives. They're a part of our lives. There's no, you know, eight to five where, you know, other than when they're at school, like we don't get to see them. Right. 
if mm-hmm. if we need help in the farm, they're there to help and and uh, and they kind of go along with us. So that's that's wonderful. But on the flip side of that is we are married to this dairy. Um, and sometimes it means that we also don't get to do some of the things that would be wonderful. Vacations are very hard. Um, you know, some of those ways of making memories. And so my parents um, made a point that we did as many sports as we could. We did camps. We did that kind of thing. Um, and then when we joined the farm, my dad made it a point that uh, we got to go on vacation. But now he's retired. Um, he's and so, on vacation. <laughs> yeah, he, he actually has a mechanical heart. And so he's medically retired. He still helps on the farm whenever we need him to. But uh, yeah. the days of working six days a week, seven days a week, all day long, it's just mm-hmm. not, it's not a possibility. So, you know, it's a, it's a really hard life. Um, and even though we have some stability, you know, there's, I, I think there's some reality to the fact that, um, you know, farmers, uh, dairy farmers, and, and probably I'm sure other industries, we don't set our price. So when things change around us, like this year, this huge drought that we had um, changes uh, everything or when wage costs go up and that kind of thing, we can't pass that on. We can't pass anything on. Um, and so, we can't raise things to, to make things go by. So we are then just getting by with less. Um, and so I don't know, that's a hard question for me because I, I love the dairy. Uh, but I also uh, think that maybe their life would be easier, not on the dairy, but if they have a passion for it and it's something that they thrive for, like my, my dad was, um, and my husband, uh, and my aunt even, um, then I think it would be a great, a great thing for them to do and have and raise a family on. That's good. Yeah, I think it's a good, I mean, it's, of course, it's always a hard question to ask of anyone, you know, I mean, any, any parent, what you want for your children or what you want them to be. But, you know, I have a lot of um, buddies from the farmer's market who have over the years of being there, um, you know, have decided to retire or whatever and the next generation a lot of times either just doesn't want to take over or the or the family doesn't want them to take over because right. it's um because it is a really hard life and existence and um and it sounds like your farm um you know being part of this collective has taken some of that stress off but some of some of the regular farmers don't have that option you know so right. it's just like a good a good topic to discuss to see you know what people are thinking and where they're at with what the next generation will be but i i love that you're still inspiring the next generation of farmers through um you know having having the cows that people are taking to fairs and doing um 4h and ffa because i think you know of course we don't want those things to go away but right. um but it is thing. It's just what we have to talk about if people want, even want to take over the farms, you know, from their families. Right. And I think location is a huge part of this too. You know, like we live in boring, which is awesome. I love where we live, but the reality is there is no other dairies around us. Um, And that makes, that makes it harder to farm. You know, when you have other farms around you, you can share resources and we no longer get to do that. And so that does make things harder. I mean, if I wanted my kids to take over, Um, we would probably look at relocating just because, you know, you need to be where it's most cost effective and boring is becoming such a more centrally located place for people that want to live out in the country, but work in the city. Um, And so we are surrounded by houses on three sides of our dairy. 
there's no farmland around us anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And that makes it a little bit harder to luckily though, at this moment, anyways, our neighbors all love us. I mean, we've been there for 97 years. And so we have um, great support from our community, but that could change, you know, that could change. And uh, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Yeah. Well, um, I hate to say it, but we're going to have to wrap things up. We're almost out of time. So um, we definitely want to encourage people to buy Organic Valley um, dairy. So can you tell people where they can find it? Yeah. So so I would say the easiest way to find it closest to you is by going to Organic Valley's website. They have a product locator so you can put in your zip code and and it can find it for you. But really, I mean, you can go to Fred Meyers, you can go to Whole Foods, you can go to New Seasons, Safeway, um, Albertsons, all those places have our products. And so uh, it all depends on what you're looking for, but we appreciate any support there's <laughs> that you over, can throw our way. There's over 1,700 family farms across 34 U.S. states, Canada, Australia, and the United Kingdom. Yes. So if you're listening, you can go find some in your area, I'm pretty sure. Isn't isn't your daughter's picture on one of the products? She is. She is on <laughs> one of the single ser- serves, like the little kids drinks, the, you know, the things for like lunches. Um, nice. And she's on the 1%. So she's laying in a field with nice. a little red and white calf. That's great. Yeah. That's and so we're cool. on the back of a bunch of cheese packages as well. Our whole family is. That's, That's so cool. awesome. <laughs> Well, thank you for joining us today. And thank you for providing so much milk to our community. We really yes, appreciate thanks, it. Melissa. Yeah, <laughs> thank you for having me. Fed. I'm going to go have a glass of milk right now. <laughs> awesome. Thank, thank you. you. I might have to join you. <laughs> thanks for having me. We record Missoni and Marshall live every week. Find us on your favorite podcast platform like iTunes and Stitcher. Thank you to our audio engineer, Lon, and our production assistant, Chelsea. If you want to be a guest on the show, you can send us a message on our Instagram, Missoni and Marshall. And we'll be back next week. Bye, everybody. Bye for now. Market of Choice is a proud sponsor of Meaningful Marketplace. As a family-owned organ grocer for 42 years, Market of Choice strives to inspire, mentor, and assist a diverse group of local producers and foster equity in our communities. With 11 stores in Oregon, Market of Choice supports these craft makers, as well as farmers, fisherfolk, and ranchers by bringing more than 7,000 local products to market. Together, we form a sustainable, community-based food system that serves our great state. To learn more, go to marketofchoice.com. You're listening to the Startup Radio Network. Listen, learn, launch. 10% of our gross revenue goes directly to women entrepreneurs in developing countries around the world through Kiva's microfinance program.